Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Silvati's podcast. I'm really excited today because I've got Keisha Thomas speaking with us today. And Keisha is a registered nutritional therapist, as well as a Pilates instructor. So we're going to talk about um, body positivity. We're going to talk about nutritional needs and a whole lot of other things. So welcome, Keisha. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. And I am genuinely excited because the way, well, I, I should probably start the way we know each other is through, um, we did, we both trained with Jay Pilates. I've done, so yeah, so I didn't originally train with Jay Pilates, actually. Um, I did lots of um, CPD courses with Jay. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And, and so we would always sort of hang in the back of a class when we had the instructor only classes. And I just remember having the best time with you. Oh, I think it's hilarious. I don't know. I always come in late, don't I? I'm always one of the last people to come in, trying to sneak in. And there's one, there's one recording actually that there's, I snuck in, or at least I thought I did. And Joe was like, hi. On the, I was like, don't call me out. I'm like, oh, <laughs> just trying to sneak in. But yeah, I'm always sneaking in. I'm always joining you at the back. And we do just have a real laugh, don't we? I'm just like, I'm not actually here to move. I'm actually here to move a little bit. And then for the most part, laugh at myself, <laughs> trying to do this thing. And I remember one one class vividly because we were at the back having a laugh, of course. We were still doing the work. And there was this really wonderful in like sort of um, transition from like teaser to side bend. I don't know if you remember this, but I attempted teaser into side bend and just fell. <laughs> like actually like there was a bang. I just <laughs> fell on my ass. And you started laughing. I started laughing, just like you are now. And I just could not contain myself. Hilarious. And I think I always tell like my clients about like my experiences in teacher any class. I'm just like, because they have this idea that we're like these amazing movers and we can do everything. It's just like, mate, if you saw me in a teacher only class, there's a good reason why I'm never on the camera. <laughs> yep. I'm usually knackered by that point as well. Just, just a slight excuse. But also it is quite challenging. <laughs> and if anyone's listening, it's Joanne Cobb from J Pilates. And it, those are hard classes to do. Yeah. And I always think like, okay, I'm going to do a couple of hundreds beforehand. Just, you know, really get into it, really warm up. So when she does it, I'm not going to suck. And my legs aren't going to flop around like a seal. <laughs> yeah. And then I go and fall in a side bend. And then you messaged me afterwards. You're like, thank you so much for not calling me out. And I'm just like, why would I? Like, yeah, because you didn't like, you just laughed and you didn't like look and like point. I don't know, maybe I'm like a bit more middle school like that. Like, <laughs> oh, look at him, he fell. <laughs> so, no, no one needed to know until now. <laughs> until now, now it's out in the universe. So I'm just glad there's no recording of it because yeah. I always stand behind the camera slightly. Always. I've, I've, for the first few classes, I didn't quite understand that there was a way to not be on camera. And then since I figured that out, I am um, almost never on camera. <laughs> like, yeah, if I could avoid it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, in fact, we just had the the most recent um, Jay Pilates convention yeah. where you were definitely missed. Oh, um, I was definitely if... there in spirit. I was looking at everyone's Instagram posts and I was just like, oh, I wish I was there. But also I'm just in bed. So <laughs> I was very tired. You know what? It was It was such a good day, but it was freaking hard. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it was um, Joe and Brooke delivering sessions and they were one after the other. And it was, it's, it's great because you really get to connect yeah. with the work that sometimes you don't always get to do because you're teaching on your own. No, exactly. 
but it was so good to get this inspiration and to ask questions and to finally just get a workout from for yourself. Yeah, and that is so important. Like how often do we really get a full on hour, let alone anything else to ourselves? You know, Jo's really, really good um, in giving us sort of, she, I still use her, she's got these little, I forgot what they're called now, but on the, in the associates um, part, She's got these little, I think they're called like little daily movement things, but just, they're just quite tiny. They're like 20 minutes. And even if I get a few of those in a week, that's that's a good week. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to actually be there and do like a full on hour and then convention is like more than an hour, right? It's <laughs> like seven be- to nine hours. <laughs> How are you here now? <laughs> Honestly, I took breaks. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to write some notes for the next couple. I'm like, Lord, I cannot do another teaser. Yeah. Oh gosh. I can't do it. He's on the best of times to be honest with you. But, um, but yeah, I think it is, it's just so nice to have that time carved out for yourself and to really, so I'm, I'm touching my table and to really get the, um, to really feel the Pilates yourself. Like you say, like when you, when you're there and you're doing it and you're really sort of immersing yourself into it, really understanding the connections in the body and then feeling it the next day, like, oh, that's what I was looking for. And not like in a, you want to ache way in a way that I have woken up that muscle, I have used that muscle, I have, you know, met the objective of that exercise, of that movement, which is is functional and really, really important. Yeah. And like you said, such a rarity for an instructor to get to do mm. often enough, because usually you're the one teaching it and correcting it. Um, although I assume, well, not assume, but I can imagine over Zoom, it's a little bit different now. So... Yeah. I don't know, some people have embraced it. Some people are still like holding out. It's like, okay, when's lockdown finishing? (laughs) Yeah, and I fully embraced it. I've moved everything onto Zoom now. Um, To be honest, it was probably something that I always wanted to do. Um, I do miss the face-to-face stuff though. So I think I will come back with a physical class at some point. But yeah, I'm fully on Zoom at the moment. And yeah, I hadn't quite thought about the fact that when you are on Zoom, you are then moving (laughs) with your class so you have to be careful how you schedule stuff so that you're not doing too much in one day yeah and one of the things and we talked about very briefly when we were texting was the importance of rest oh yeah and so I think it took you texting me like I'm just gonna rest for me to sort of just think about it because often and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people is we're so scheduled and on the go that no one schedules rest in or acknowledges that you might need more rest than you actually are getting and so I remember that evening I just thought put your phone away and I did and I felt so much better for it yeah it's so important I think rest is something I talk to both my nutrition and my Pilates clients about a lot because there is this um, sort of culture that we live in in society. And I think we've probably been ingrained in us since school that we have to be productive. And even during lockdown, it was just like, everyone was like doing like the equivalent of like a degree during lockdown. It's just like, <laughs> I was like, oh great. I get to just stay home and actually just chill. I saw lockdown as a, as a time to, I mean, I was doing the most. I literally, I was like, take the nail varnish off your toenails, let your toenails breathe, let your eyebrows grow out. You are going to rest. <laughs> there are books here. You might be, you know, so it was very much for me like a time to be, I'm just going to have my backside in one place. And that's rare. Usually I'm here, there, here, there. And I think we don't have a, a, a society where it's not even our culture to really encourage rest. And it's almost, you know, I'm not, I, even I struggle with it. Because even when I rest, I'm sitting there going, oh, but it's in an email leave it. <laughs> I have to tell myself, we, it's, re- it's really hard for us to switch off, but so important. So like, 
me today I'm like awake I'm with you <laughs> whereas yesterday I was literally like in bed lying down like watching um the boys I don't know if you've, if you've been watching the boys on on prime it's a series it's really good I recommend it but I was watching that I was just literally just taking the time to just not even do any learning I wasn't I didn't even want to read anything educational I just wanted to sort of veg out and and just give and then so I woke up this morning like ding feel way better for it and I've been so productive <laughs> yeah and and so what are the things that you think are important for people to use as their rest or what activities? Because I imagine for some people, like it's something like meditation or vegging mm -hmm. out, watching a series on Amazon. By the way, this is not sponsored by Amazon, but if they want to sponsor me, totally okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are the things that you think are important for people to do or to try to encourage more rest? Yeah, I think it's about really carving that time out for yourself so like I actually had arranged to have like a working session with a friend yesterday afternoon and I was like it's brilliant I've got no clients booked in I could sit down and I can get so much organizational stuff done and I actually just messaged that friend first thing in the morning I already knew what vibe I was on I was just like it's not happening so I texted my friend and just said look I'm just gonna stay home I'm not gonna come today I'm just gonna I'm gonna actually went to the hairdressers and I said I'm gonna come back home and sleep which is a weird thing to after going to the hairdressers but that's what I did I'm sleeping very carefully um but and and I and I'm I think the first thing to think about is that saying no because sometimes our bodies tell us that we want to rest and we've got something scheduled in and we feel like we can't let people down and actually it, it just doesn't serve you to always you know commit to these or to fully well, commit's the word, wrong word but you know to go to all these commitments that you've made you don't have to do it you don't have to do it if they're real friends and they're people who really value and love you, they will understand that sometimes you need to rest. <laughs> and, and so saying no, it can bring up a lot of things, particularly for your people pleaser, I'm quite the people pleaser. And that's a lot of work that I've had to do in that I will go to this thing to see you, even if it means that I'm knackered, <laughs> which just doesn't serve me. And then as a result, doesn't really even serve that person because you know I'm already present. So that was a long winded way to say, carving that time out for yourself and just you know any commitments that you've made it's okay to say no I can't come um and then the activities of what is rest it then you, I'm always guided by my body so sometimes I do want to pick up a book and read but sometimes my mind needs a rest so I'll just watch something completely mindless that I don't need any thought to try and piece together the plot it's just very simple so sometimes it's that or sometimes it is I just want to read something maybe it's something educational um or yeah meditation I mean meditation I do every single day um whether I want to or not um I do it because I know it, it really does benefit me it really does help set up you know the rest of my day but there are other ways that we can meditate it doesn't have to be through guided meditation it could be like a meditative um tasks so like sometimes you're, you even a shower can be meditative so just taking a little bit longer to do certain things I mean I love washing dishes it sounds really weird I've just said that loud it sounds weird it sounded better in my head um <laughs> I love washing dishes and there's something really therapeutic about gathering all my dishes and putting it into one place and taking the time to wash and maybe getting a tiny bit overly finicky about like how things are placed in the rack but that's all part of it. it's just it just takes me out of my I'm not focusing on anything else and for me that's meditate I could do it in a meditative way it doesn't always feel like that with dishes but sometimes I can yeah and that's it's so interesting about, yeah it's about just listening to yourself and just you know sl slowing down yeah because often there's this association with 
you know, um, taking a rest day or canceling plans with being lazy or not committed. And I know I certainly had that in the past where I'm like, well, actually, I don't want to go out. I just want to sit and I just want to go to sleep early for once. And then you feel, oh, if I cancel late, they're going to, you know, you know, there's this association that I struggle with, certainly. So I imagine other people might have that same sort of connotation to it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it is just that saying no can, you know, like say if, if you are a person who has been pleasing people for many, many years, maybe even since your childhood, that saying no, it's not just a two letter word for some people, it's a whole host of thoughts and feelings. So it, it does take some practice. I'm very good at it now, I have to say. <laughs> it does take some practice. I think we found the title of your new um, blog post. Power of no, <laughs> if you've not already written it. Yeah, no, I definitely need to. The power of no and the many ways that the many ways we can say no. <laughs> yeah. And watch Emily in Paris on Netflix, another really good show, just to veg out to. Oh, yes. I've done like 10 episodes. Yeah, it's on Netflix. I've done 10 episodes in three days. Again, not sponsored by Netflix, but if they want to hit me up as well, absolutely good with that. (laughs) These are opposing now. You're talking about Amazon, Netflix. You're going to have to like. (laughs) You know what? Whichever one gets to me quicker. I'm okay with that. Send me a check and I'm good with that. (laughs) And so one of the things that was really interesting because you're talking about the connection into the body and that suddenly I can imagine comes into play with nutrition. Yeah. How did you get into nutrition? How If we think about that connection to body and nutrition, so a lot of the work that I do is around eating disorder recovery, recovery from disordered eating, and also recovering just from chronic dieting, which is something that I have had to do personally, recover from just chronically dieting throughout all of my 20s and the very late part of my teens. So I mention that because all these things, chronic dieting, eating disorders, disordered eating, they are all um, they are a way that we disconnect from our bodies. We're, we're not thinking about, am I hungry? Am I full? We're just like, how many X, Y, Z, you know, whatever we're counting, be it calories, carbs, blah, 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 whatever. Um, it's all about the external stuff. And so a lot of the work that I do with my nutrition clients is teaching them how to connect to their hunger and you know and even the word hunger can bring up so many different feelings for people some people love it in a in an unhealthy way let's say um and some people are truly fearful of it and some people and and most if not all of the people that I come across in my nutrition um practice are trying to manipulate their hunger so they're trying to not feel it or they're trying to find other ways to get around it or avoid or escape it that don't include actually nourishing and eating so it's a really really important part of what I do I'm I'm doing a lot more in terms of working with like trying to I've always kept not always but up until recently I've kept my Pilates and nutrition work quite separate and now with that actually with the with the connection to body is a wonderful way to marry the two because it is just about what is my body telling me is it telling me to rest is it telling me that I'm hungry is it telling me that I'm full now am I eating because I'm physically hungry emotionally hungry all these things that people just don't know about their own bodies which isn't to shame anybody but it's just like there's just so much um scope there and ways that we can be so curious and compassionate as to one why why don't we know and what is our body trying to tell us 
and the compassion of the reason why we've maybe been avoiding it is through just many of our experiences that we've had through life it's not we didn't just wake up one day and just go I'm just gonna not eat it's there's there's way more to it there's way way more to it and there's and there's a lot of sort of what that person's body has experienced through their life so the story of the body and how it came to be where it is so I'm always um, one of the so something I've been really reflecting on a lot recently is sort of how I communicate this, because I think what often comes out is that people think with your anti diet, that you're anti people on diets. And that's very that's couldn't be further from the truth, because you're compassionate for those who are on diets and equally like it's their body, they can do with it whatever they want. And also I was there. So like, how could I possibly like, you know, frankly, so it, it's about um showing uh, helping people sort of understand where that mindset has come from so what makes you think that you have to shrink your body down in order to be accepted or what is it about um not eating or avoiding your hunger that you think is helping you get through life and there is probably an answer for that and for them a valid one so it'd be very dismissive of me to say we shouldn't diet it's not that easy yeah. And do you think some of that is is learned behavior or innate? How does that develop for I know it's going to be different for each individual, but yeah. as a as a as a group of people, as a population, how do you think that develops? I think just for many different things, there's going to be a, you know, part of it is going to be what that person experienced growing up. You know, we have all have messages um, around food. We were you know, for the most part, unless you have a specific illness, um, we were born being able to eat intuitively. As babies, we give given a bottle. When we're done, we spat the bottle out. We didn't have to, we didn't need anyone to tell us that we were done. We'd either drink the whole thing or we'd drink some and we'd spit and we'd be like, we're done. So it was very, it was, that was innate. We were born with that ability to do that. But somewhere along the line, we pick up either through watching somebody else's behaviors and that could be a parent perhaps or a sibling or someone around you has you know habits or behaviors around food so it can be learned but also we get given messages and I have to be careful when I talk like this because it's not to say that when people have eating disorders it's because their mum was dieting it's not that easy um it's that there's usually a trauma that comes with that and, and all the rest of it so but when we talk about sort of how that eating got skewed we have messages like, I don't know, I, I'll talk about my messages that I got when I was growing up. And that was, you're not leaving a table until you finish everything on your plate. About like everything, like you're not leaving. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so now, now we're ignoring our fullness cues. Now we're just eating everything. And also there comes with a, a little side of guilt. Because if you don't, you know, if you waste that food somewhere in a far-flung country, a child is suffering because of you. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> pressure. And so... It comes with, so that you carry that, that message. You don't realize how much you carry that into your adulthood. Like if I put this food on my plate, I must eat it. Cause if I don't eat it all, then someone's gonna starve somehow. Actually, I haven't thought about how it all works. I had it, had it. Ship the plate off to another country. <laughs> That's what I thought. Once it's on your plate, it's wasted anyway. Like whether you eat it or not, it makes no difference in the universe as to what, you know, you, at some point it gets wasted, right? It has to go somewhere afterwards. So. <laughs> These are the ways, these little subtle messages that we had as children before we even understood what, you know, how the world even works. We've had these messages and then they become ingrained. And then we start to build this or you'll have other things about like maybe some people have had um, messages around certain foods. So sweets, eat too many sweets, your teeth will fall out, you know, not if you brush your teeth, you know. <laughs> and so that all these things that and people 
often instill sort of fear. And then as we grow up, then we read magazines and you see food marketing and things are guilt-free and guilt-free and sin-free and decadent and chocolate at some point. I don't know if you've ever met the Galaxy chocolate adverts. They were like sold as this sexual thing. It's like, dude, it's chocolate. What are we doing? <laughs> and it, yes. it all, it's so confusing. And so you grow up with all these messages. And so and then so no wonder as a society, we're so like disconnected from our bodies and not even knowing how we feel about a bar of chocolate for example. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that just triggered a memory for me because very much growing up, I was, you know, you sit at the dinner table, you eat everything that's on your plate. And it was interesting because I then, when I worked in mental health, I went on this eating disorders course in London. Mm. And one of the things that they got us to do was to bring a chocolate bar in or whatever, it could, could have been everything, anything, and to just throw it away. And I kid you not, I could not do it could not do it like I just felt immense guilt immense pressure like I just bought something like you have to open it look at it throw it away oh wow and that was I I I, I could not do it for the first I think the course lasted a week it was full-time for a week the first three days could not do it mm. and then reluctantly and then another exercise and re reluctantly I ended up doing it but it was that guilt, like my mom's voice and through no fault of her own, because that's the way she was raised. Yeah. You know, finish generation. everything on your plate. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure loads of people listening will identify to something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. one of the things, and one of the things that bothered me, I remember, it's funny now, but I remember I used to eat on smaller plates. And so like I've grown up and I've not learned this. I've probably learned it from somewhere. But I've learned all these different behavior patterns or maladaptive behavior patterns um, in order to control what I eat or how I eat. So I used to eat on a small plate with a small spoon so it would take longer. You know, things like that that you think, I don't know how I got that as an 11-year-old child. What was I watching? Or who was, what was I reading in order to pick that up from? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing. And, you, and, it's, and that's it's like you say it's where does it come from you might never remember mm -hmm. but the not so much the behavior but the how you come to 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 engage in that behavior it, it's a lot to do with the messages that we hear about like what is acceptable like you know what is it like if somebody does have a big appetite and enjoys big portions and you know that comes with often some narrative about that person actually that's a very healthy sign <laughs> if you've got a big appetite you know Back in the day, like if you think about when when children have big appetites, it's like, oh, it's got a healthy appetite. But somehow when we get to adults having a healthy appetite, it's something like, you're like, ooh, you eat a lot? That's like, how, when, when did this change? <laughs> At what point did it flip? Um, and so, yeah, and so people do, like, I, I like that word you use, that, that maladaptive, you know, that's what people do engage in because it's a way to conform to what is unfortunately become societal norms. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. I quite like it. Um, but that is what people are doing. They're just trying to conform. They're just trying to fit in. Yeah. And so what are the things that sort of when somebody comes to see you, for example, not to sort of give everything away, but what are the things that you work around that sort of have been helpful for previous clients of yours? You know, the first thing is really understanding what's causing them the most pain, because a lot of the time... When, when a person is engaged in these behaviors, it is a way that it's, it's, a, it's a coping mechanism, a very, un, well, I don't even wanna say it's unhelpful because it has helped them. So it's a coping mechanism. So it would be very 
harsh of someone like me to come in and just say we're not going to do that anymore and you mustn't you mustn't because what I'm leaving that person with is with nothing nothing to cope how do I how do I distract myself from this pain how do I if I'm not engaging in thoughts about I want to be small I want to lose weight then what what do I have to think about so it's a very much meeting a person where they're at and thinking about what is causing them the most pain so what behavior can they identify that is just really unhelpful and so sometimes it's you know what I find is that easier in is what it does to a person's social life so a person can't go out and have a meal with friends or they can but it's super stressful and they just want to have a meal with friends I just want to enjoy myself I'm so you know they might be naturally socially you know a social person and they love being around their friends but when there's food involved that's like really really difficult so that's a way of like when you can understand where somebody's feeling the most pain and what they're sick of and they don't want to engage in anymore that's a way to start to think about okay what's making that difficult and what's just one tiny step that we can make to make that better and you just work in baby steps and you know that a lot of the work that I do is very is very slow for that reason because you know we are like I say challenging someone's whole structure that they've put around them to keep themselves safe and so until they started to build their own healthy coping mechanisms self-care self-compassion which is huge in recovery to be compassionate to oneself let alone everybody else um until they're able to build those skills it's hard to, to challenge what's going on with the food so it is just like those baby steps it's very i always say baby steps to everybody i think some i have to i had to say to one of my clients the other day like i don't just say baby steps to you it's baby steps for everyone <laughs> like this is baby step stuff like we have to take our time these these behaviors and habits are ingrained so yeah. take time so that's really interesting that you use the word self-compassion um can we unpack that a bit more yeah i mean so self-compassion is at the core of changing a an, an unhelpful behavior um so one of the things i often get my clients to do is to think of a common unhelpful or mean thought that they have and we all have these thoughts so for some of us it's a critical voice and for those who have eating disorders I refer to it as the unwell voice or the ED voice not everybody is on board with that at the beginning so um but we can all identify that we have a critical voice in our head that one that tells us that why did you say that oh that's so stupid or how could you forget or da -da -da -da. um and what I do is I take that voice and I say imagine that that voice said that same thing to somebody that you really loved what would you say? And that person would be like, oh my gosh, I would say that was so mean. I would tell that voice that they're wrong for saying that. And so they have the compassion within them to say, I know that these words aren't nice. And if they said it to someone who I loved, I'd have a problem with that. But somehow when it comes to themselves, they agree with the voice. I know, but I shouldn't, but I should be able to. And they sh we say they should all over themselves, mm. right? So that's a really, the first thing is to really start to pay attention to those thoughts, like how unkind are those thoughts being? Like it's, I get there's one part of like, if you're late, you can be, you can be a bit miffed of yourself and you are gonna be like, oh my gosh, like what was I thinking? Why did I press snooze like three times? Like I know what happens when I do this, but it's not helpful, is it? Like, cause it's happened now. So it's that, it's that you know, that same thing that you say to somebody else. Okay, well, you know what, tomorrow we're not gonna do that. We know now, don't we? That wasn't helpful, um, can't change it now, so. <laughs> get your shoes on, let's go. So it is just, it's just about thinking about how you would respond to that unhelpful voice if it was talking to someone who you loved. And that takes time because that person often doesn't have that amount of love for themselves, but the awareness of the gap between 
you know, how they feel about that voice talking to somebody else versus how they feel about that voice talking to them, that shows them that the work that they need to do. Yeah. And so when I worked in psychology, we'd call it the critical voice. So mm. pretty much the same thing. And, and, yeah. and actually, you know, they did call it the ED voice. And that's something that I'm sort of familiar with and heard about. So that was really interesting to, to see it be applied in a different setting, yeah. but still be just as strong and hear the same kinds of things. Absolutely. Especially with food. So with food, it will be, you know, um, you know, that guilt that comes for somebody if they have a certain, if they don't have a good relationship with sweets, for example, they don't have a good relationship with carbohydrates, or they just don't have a good relationship with food as a result. Um, you know, how they would chastise themselves for having something, but for everybody else, it's okay. Well, hey, how are you so different? Why is it okay for everybody else and not for you? Um, and it tells you that they don't believe it then. Because if you say it's okay for everybody else, then you don't really believe that it's not okay for you. So now we have this little conflict that we have to think about what's going on in that gap between this and this. And it is just that whole, it usually comes down to not feeling deserving of, or that their body's broken, and that my body's gonna do something different with it, and you know, all of that. And so that's that's work. And that's not that's not all work that I do. I'm always working with a psychotherapist when I'm doing this work. So it they often say, uh, a lot of times my clients say it's weird because you say things and then my psychotherapist says the same thing. I'm just like, yeah, because we're on the same team. <laughs> And how important is that for you to be able to work with talking therapists? It's, I mean, I couldn't do what I do without it. I could take, you know, somebody asked me this question, question recently and I had to sort of really think about it because I could probably take someone quite far in their food, bigging myself up here, could probably take someone quite far in their relationship with food and body. But if we think about how their problem isn't with their food and body, their problem is something else, but it's been projected onto food and body. So all I'd be doing is solving the relationship with their food and body, but then their coping mechanisms could go somewhere else. They might be struggling with codependency in their relationships. They might be struggling with um, maybe their, I don't know, same one I can think of at the moment, <laughs> but they might they might overly make themselves overly busy. So they never have time for anything else. So a different type of restriction, restriction of time. So it's the behavior that needs to be challenged. I can, I can solve like what's going on with your food and help you feel better about all of that. And you know, to a certain extent, help a person feel better in their body. But if the underlying thinking errors are still there, then the coping mechanism just goes somewhere else. And so we haven't, we haven't solved the problem. I've just kind of, kind of like stuck a plaster or swept up. It's like cleaning a room and leaving one corner, two, three corners, and you've just you know tidied up one corner of your room. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about anyone else listening, but I just had a penny drop right now. <laughs> So it's not the relationship with your food, but it's the underlying things and how that manifests. And that's what you tackle. Yeah, exactly. Because, wow. you know, because if that were the, you know, it's, um, they see it as an, it's an easy, quote unquote, easy solve, right? Well, I can just manipulate my food because that's a very easy thing to, to focus all your energy on rather than the, the, often repetitive and mean thoughts and the thinking errors that a person thinks the biggest thinking error that I see is the all or nothing mentality and I will say to people you know you're doing it with food but you're doing that all throughout your life so they'll say I can't have biscuits in my cupboard because I'll eat them all and then I won't have them for weeks or days or whatever and I say that's so all or nothing that's black and white that very dichotomous way of thinking and I said and I bet you you're doing it in other areas of your life and they'll be like oh yeah I do that all the time so it's, it just plays out in your food, yes, 
but this is a thinking there that you need to be looking at and and yeah figuring out where where it's showing up for you yeah and so would they typically see yourself and then a talking therapist um simultaneously or does one happen first and then the other usually together um because I think it's it's really helpful when you've got two professionals backing it up from the nutrition perspective and then from the the psychological perspective like really helping them understand how so then you know the psychotherapy would be looking more about their their history and and you know what's gone on in the past that has caused them to think this way um so it really helps them unpick um but it's you know it, I'm very flexible in that not everybody wants to do psychotherapy in that way not everybody's comfortable some people don't want to go into their past which you know again you have to meet people with that and you, and you have to think of another way to support that person is it you know there are there are so many different ways to do it now you've got EMDR you've got hypnotherapy um I started recently um working alongside a somatic experiencing practitioner um, so there's just, we have to just look at the person that's in front of us and say, okay, how can I support this person as to where they're at right now? And maybe they, they might, you know, I still think, I mean, I'm biased. I still think psychotherapy is like, do it. But we have to appreciate that everybody is ready for that work. Yeah. And I was reading on your website and you did write a blog post about the somatic experience and working mm. with someone like that. And that was such an interesting read, actually. So we'll link up your website later because I definitely want people to read some of the stuff. And one of the other blog posts that you had written about um, was on preparing for lockdown. Yes. And I thought that was such an interesting read because I didn't realize how my eating habits and my shopping habits were changing because of lockdown. Yeah. It, it brought up so much for so many and I hadn't considered it that like I didn't I didn't even think about what it might but also I think as any I'm in and out of Instagram as you probably see um but you know Instagram really didn't well not Instagram as a general platform but some people on Instagram let's say weren't really helpful because there was a lot of shaming going on around and you know don't have this in your house and don't have that in your house and da, 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 because you'll eat it all and then that makes a person people literally fearing what they were going to buy and they were fearing the fact that they might have to, and then the stockpiling happened. So they were fearing that they'd have to have lots of food in their house. And for those who suffer with any um, emotional eating or, or any binge behaviors, they were that would just eat it all, um, which is really terrifying. And so, yeah, it was it was that. And then there was the, you know, the gyms closing and for some, you know, working out is a big part of their coping mechanism. And then there was the isolation, which, none of us we all need human contact that's like key for our survival whether you're introverted or not you need some form of human contact and so that was quite, I found that that's the thing that got me the most actually not being able to see or touch anybody I'm a very touchy person I'm still struggling mm -hmm. with that we can't touch people right now um so that you know things that people miss you just take for granted um but really difficult when you have that it's a restriction placed on you and some yeah. and, and lots of people I'm working with are already very restrictive. So it's an extra restriction on top of restriction. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So it's more rules, more rules, more yeah. rules. And then the fear of what what was going. And I thought it was just so unfortunate. It was really difficult to sort of navigate how much people were talking about weight gain. Yeah. Quarantine 15. Like they had to make it rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> Where the, it's only 15 because it rhymes with quarantine but um and so that feel like if, yeah your body might change your 
not moving as much as you would normally and that's okay and that's normal and that's you that's how bodies work they don't just have this one weight that we just stay and stick in it fluctuates for our life throughout the week throughout the day um but that was really scary for people as well so the thought that they were just going to gain weight and for those who are suffering with an eating disorder you know for those who for those of us who don't suffer these disorders we were thinking about a weight gain but for those who suffer eating disorders it often catastrophize and it wasn't just 15 it was you know they felt they were going to gain and gain and gain and gain and gain and oh my god how am I going to live my life that's and that's how that's genuinely how the thought process goes for them so I had to write that post or and and highlight this how normal it was for them to be having those thoughts and actually, if you get, you know, if you gain weight, that's okay. Like that's absolutely fine. I don't think many people were telling, you know, I know for those of us in, in certain communities, we're definitely saying that same message, but I don't think enough people were saying that, that it's okay to gain some weight sometimes. Like that's life. And especially, you know, um, when I've spoken to patients and they told me, oh, I've gained loads of weight during lockdown. And I'm just like, okay, let's move on. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to shame you for it. I'm not going to celebrate it either. It's, yeah. it, it, it just happened. Like, we all went through it as literally the whole world went through it. Yeah. And so I think you're right. There aren't enough people saying it's okay. And that's such a powerful message to be able to convey to somebody. Yeah. And it, it means a lot for, pers- for people to hear that as well. Um because yeah, everyone was so isolated. And like you say, the world went through it. And I think a lot of the time people think they are the only ones, (laughs) Um, but yeah. And one of the things you mentioned earlier was about Instagram, not the app itself, but the people (laughs) and some of the users on it. And one thing that I've noticed is this whole shift, um, you know, good and bad through the whole body positivity movement. And so one of the people that I listen to regularly is Jamila Jamil, she's an actress. I love her podcast. If you haven't listened to her podcast, absolutely phenomenal podcast. Like I'm driving in the car, going to work and I'm like, yes. And I'm just like shouting out in my car in agreement or disagreement, but it's just an amazing thing to listen to. And so she's very open about, you know, the eating disorders that she's had in the past and, you know, working in an industry where where it is very body image focused. Um, But what, sorry, I digress. Um, (laughs) But Instagram, yes. So this whole culture has emerged about body body positivity and it's sort of morphed in different ways where it's become sort of celebrated. And then for a period of time, it was like, well, that's not body positivity. That's actually shaming. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk to me a bit about that? Yeah, it's a it's a really difficult one because I have again, I always have to when I have an immediate I'm always challenging my own dichotomous thinking. So I often have a very immediate reaction to, um, for example, somebody who isn't what we would call in a larger body, but they might have parts of their body that has more fat, let's say. And I and I might have a reaction to that person pinching that fat and being like, oh, I shouldn't do that voice, which I mean, but like, love your body. And it's just like, that's a bit of a, you, you're not really embracing or understanding what person who is in a body that is not socially accepted is going through. Um, so I get that. But at the same time, I don't want to take away from that person's experience of actually they have difficulties with parts of their body too. However, we do have to think about how these are two very different experiences. People who live in, in bigger bodies, um, 
who don't have a body that is quote unquote socially accepted or is, doesn't fit in with our society's beauty standards, they're not just, you know, talking about a roll of fat here, a roll of fat there. They're feeling some type of way about walking into McDonald's. They're feeling difficulties just, you know, sitting on the train that, you know, it's, it's every single day, it's many different situations. And then they've got themselves, you know, being targeted in the news. We're in a global pandemic and somehow it came down to obesity again. And it's just like, can we just let people live in their bodies as they are? Mm -hmm. So um, the body positivity movement, I think it's a difficult one. And I'm, and I'm sort of very much just, maybe this is the people pleaser in me, just trying to see it from everybody's point of view. But I think it, there are ways that we have to be, and, and this is myself included now, I don't, I have maybe, I'm not, I wouldn't say I have a thin body, but in some ways socially accepted anyway. So we have to be careful how we're talking about people in bigger bodies and what their experiences are, because they're not our experiences. I would, I amplify, I talk on their behalf, but it's more to, it's on their behalf. It's more to sort of highlight the fact that this is, this is what's going on for a lot of the people who I have conversations with. And I, and I find it, yeah, just really disrespectful. And, and it's, it, to me, it's, it's akin to, and I did this post on my Instagram and people went, people were angry <laughs> because I talked about the link between diet culture and racism people didn't like that <laughs> why were they angry they were saying so one person had, I mean, and it, i think because when you talk about racism you talk about blackness you know in my case i'm talking about blackness people feel maybe they feel shame it's a difficult conversation for them to have so the easier uh, reaction i don't know if it's easier but the common reaction is to push it away and you're wrong and why would you say that there's no way these things are linked and they are um and and so I had a lot of people saying things like, oh, this person saying that exercises is, exercising is racist now. I'm like, first of all, the Pilates instructor. <laughs> like, second of all, did you read the post? <laughs> I know, so, yeah, so, it was, it was, so it's very difficult to sort of um, have these conversations and talk on behalf of and sort of amplify and just be an advocate for those who are living in marginalized bodies, bodies who that people just don't accept and, and don't, yeah, and don't accept, but actually, spew hate at because some of the comments that I see I'm just like wow why would you say that that's crazy um somebody said don't oh so I could tell you this is an interesting story I could tell you I um once applied for no I didn't even apply I was I was looking for um jobs Pilates jobs on a job website I can't remember which one it was now and I came across one and in the description, the, the person uh, who was who had written the job post had written um, that the Pilates instructor ought to have a body that people would aspire to. Wow! I was like, I'm going to write you an email. <laughs> Good for you. I wrote an email. I was just like, what does that even mean? I don't want anyone to be looking at. I don't want people to be looking at my body as an inspiration. That's bizarre. This is my body, um, with my genetics and, and my body story. So, and no one even knows what I'm doing to have a body that I have. You know, that's the thing. You don't know what people are doing with their bodies. Neither is it anyone's business. Do you know what I mean? Your body is your body, their body is their body. Anyway, I wrote to this person and I said, you know, somewhat along those lines. And I said, you know, that I was an advocate of body positivity. And that person wrote back saying, thank you for reaching out. Um, I don't believe in body positivity. I believe that it promotes laziness. Wow. I don't even know where to go. I, I just kind of like, I, I did respond. And I can't remember what I said back, but I just thought I'm going to leave it there. And I thought that's crazy to me that you would, you would make that link. I'm actually shaking. I um, was, I, even when I say it now, I feel it in my stomach. I was enraged. And I was like, oh, honestly, it was just like, what a bizarre link to make. 
Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it brings back, oh gosh, I am so angry. Gosh, okay, <laughs> um, pull it together. Um, it it kind of resonates with me because, I mean, we're both in the Pilates industry and we've both, you know, been at it for a while now. It's, um, and one of the things I get very hesitant to do is apply for new jobs, yeah. especially in like a corporate setting. And I actually did that um, towards the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, personal victory for me. And I ended up getting the job. Yay. And, you know, the company, amazing company to work for. I loved every minute that I worked there. But I was really scared because I'm like, I don't have a quote unquote Pilates body. Mm, right. I my body just like you said is a lived experience of all the things that I've been through and all the things that I will be through will go through and so when they hired me I was like in the back of my mind I'm like are you sure about this but at the end of the day we're Pilates instructors yeah you know you're, you're good at what you do Absolutely. And it's important for people to see that bodies come in all different shapes and sizes. And that even that, that term Pilates body, now I'll hold my hands up. I've definitely used the hashtag before um, anything to get um, a like on Instagram, but no, it's, what does that mean? Like this idea of, and I get that a lot as well. Like I've had people, so back when I was on dating sites, for example, and you say, oh, I'm a Pilates instructor. Like, what do you do? I'm a Pilates instructor nutritionist. Oh, you must be really fit then. Oh, you must have a, a really nice body. First of all, <laughs> like, please and it's just like where's this where's this idea come from and and what body are you referring to when you say these words and it's just like pressure it's like hello like my body is it is what it is (laughs) you know I've spent enough years trying to change that I've come to terms of you know to loving it as it is today um but yeah so so this sort of idea of what a Pilates instructor quote-unquote should look like whether you're male feet I think the fact that they expect you to be a woman is is one interesting thing given that Joseph Pilates himself was a man <laughs> um, who started the whole thing but also like the color of your skin the the what you wear like you're supposed to be in like I don't know I don't want to slam any brands out there because I'm, I'm always up for a brand deal but <laughs> um but you know the what you wear that are you matching da, 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 da. it's just like I'm here to show you how to move your body the Pilates way <laughs> And interesting, so there's almost this standard that, especially in gym settings, so f- um, for example, if you were to look at a personal trainer, for example, and if this personal trainer, this is what's come up for me before, this personal trainer doesn't have a physique or a look, are you going to necessarily hire this personal trainer? Mm. So how does that differ? And I'm just playing devil's advocate here. How does that differ be- to Pilates because at the end of the day Pilates is a fitness it's in the it's in the fitness industry at the end of the day so how would that differ what changes there I don't think anything changes I think it's the same I think it's it applies to all professions in in I think within the health and fitness I think if you're a nutritionist and you're in a bigger body you have you have every much as right to be there as anybody else you can be given dietary advice in a fat body you know that doesn't stop you from doing your job um and it's the same for a personal trainer you don't have to and I think it is a lot it's it's such pressure on the person in that industry to have to look a certain way um or to give this idea that they even eat a certain way which I know that they do not not all of them anyway um and it is your body is what your body is and that in the same way um a personal trainer can be in a in a fat body in a in a in a quote unquote a body that doesn't you know adhere to the beautiful sorry the beauty ideals that we have in our society today that's also to 
sort of, you know, be an advertisement, as it were, to say that everybody needs to work out. <laughs> we need to move, <laughs> no matter what size we are. That's part of our well-being. Um, and so if we only have certain people doing those jobs, we're almost saying that the, this movement is only for certain people. It's quite exclusive. We, we want to make this industry as inclusive as possible so that everybody benefits from it. And that's such a powerful message. So one of the things you talked about was rep representation in the Pilates industry. And now I know, for me anyway, when I've gone to classes or I've, you know, gone to other countries and done classes, it hasn't necessarily felt very representative for me. What's it been like for you? Yeah, I would say the same. Um, I would say, you know, even when I did my training course, and I apologize if I'm forgetting anybody, but I can only remember in a room of say 20 of us, one other black woman there, there were some men there. Um, but then other than that, it was very much, you know, quite a, everybody looked the same. Most people were white. Most people had a similar, you know, small frame body. And that's not to, again, I'm never saying that in a way to, <clears throat> to say that they shouldn't be there. They absolutely need to be there too. But it's just showing you like, that's kind of what the, what the industry can look like a lot of the time, at least through my experience. And then when I think of the classes who I teach, and this is really difficult for me, but the truth of it is, I don't see many black people in my classes. And I can, I can, I can quite distinctly remember times when I've seen black people in my classes, which is a bizarre thing to be able to say, but that's the truth of it. Um, and I, so I would say that there is this idea, and, I've, and this is feedback that I had from, so it was a, it's a friend of mine, and if he watches this, he's going to totally know that I'm talking about him. Um, a friend of mine, he wanted to do Pilates with me. Um, he's a black man. And when I sent him how much it costs, he said, oh, um, it really is a rich, but he said a rich white person's exercise. And I was like, what? how does that how have you come to that conclusion like from one from the price point which is right up there with how much personal trainers charge for me anyway but it was something about I don't know somehow that that was the that was the idea that he had about Pilates and it's almost like the price confirmed that and that was really half me sort of take away because I think well, I can't lower the price that's pretty much how I live um, that's my life that's my like my livelihood but also just like what is this idea that people is that what people think that Pilates is a rich white people's thing yeah because it's almost seen as it's almost seen as non-essential so it's almost like this luxury good or luxury service in a way whereas you know you can go for a run and that's free mm. so then why might you pay however much it is if it's going to different countries and different areas to lay on a mat and have someone tell you what to do yeah and so similarly and I suppose the classes I teach, I don't have any men in there. I used to when I taught at a studio. I don't have any people of, of I don't know what the right politically correct term is now. So I don't have any people of color. Yeah. Is that okay to say? I don't know. I, I'm literally asking the wrong person. I'm just like, as long as you don't say colored. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 yes, yes. But I don't have like, I don't have any participants or clients that are black or Asian. And, and I'm just thinking, why is that? Is that because you've seen an industry that's been perpetuated by a different stereotype or a certain stereotype and not felt included and not felt you can identify with that exercise program? Yeah. Or is it a 
socioeconomic background issue where you don't want to spend this percentage of your income on this class that might not be essential to your life. Mm. And that's where I struggle is, is what can what can we do as an industry, I suppose is my question, to allow people to feel more included. Yeah, I think it's important for us to be to really just be there. Like, you know, that, that thing that you had about that corporate role that you took, that feeling of like, it's almost for me, and, and correct me if I was wrong, it sounds like it's like, am I supposed to be here kind of question? And yes, you are. And yes, I am. <laughs> and yes, we all, and that's what people need to see. And I think even when I went into my training, I didn't even believe that I could be a Pilates instructor. I didn't think that was something that, that was something I could even do. I was like, oh, maybe I could teach Pilates. <laughs> that's literally how it came about. It's something I enjoyed doing in my personal practice, like my exercise was to do with my running and help me run better and not get injured. Um, and when I looked up the, the course and I was just like, oh my God, I could totally, I could do this. And it was just a weird thing. And then it, it wasn't until I was in the industry, you kind of realize that actually there isn't that much diversity going on. And even I would say, hold my hands up. If you looked at my Instagram, a lot of people don't even know I'm a Pilates instructor for the fact that if you don't look at my bio, because I don't really do exercise on Instagram, that's mostly of the eating sort of community. And I've had to sort of do a lot of thought around how I want to move and what I want to um, sort of, uh, yeah, portray or like exercising and how I feel about sort of people exercising online and following people exercise online. So that's, that's where that comes from. But I say all that to say, like, we just have to be there. We have to be doing what everybody else is doing in our industry um, and just make sure that it looks diverse. I think, and one thing, and, you know, and this is, I always forget to say this, I just want to make sure that I say it here, because we're not only talking about different body shapes and sizes, we're also talking about different um, sexual orientations, we're also talking about different bodies of abilities, so varying abilities as well um and yeah so it's about as much diversity like everybody deserves to be there and we just have to it's, it, although it might feel a bit uncomfortable at times but we have to step up to the plate and we have to make sure that we're getting our voices amplified in that way yeah and that's so true because sometimes I feel like it's such hard work to get the message across or get people talking about it because a lot of people don't want to talk around that's absolutely fine you know everyone has their own experience and lived experience but it's sometimes such hard work to get anything done it almost feels like oh, I can't be bothered yeah and why should I have to be the one yeah. to to lay that groundwork or start that hashtag or yeah. um you know because it's like well no one's going to look it up anyway yeah and it often feels very silenced or very unheard I suppose totally does it feels very unheard but also like you say it's people have to go at their own pace when I I've only in the last sort of I don't know probably four or five months been talking about racism and race publicly because I've had to do a lot of unpacking for my own for myself and it was tiring because it's like this is all this is all trauma that we're holding our bodies so when we're talking about people of different sexual orientations, people of different colors, people of different bodies, that comes with trauma that a person's experienced throughout their life. So just for me to be like, oh, then you see to be on Instagram and showing, it's not that easy because when you're doing it, it's tiring because not only you, you put yourself out there, you know that you're, you're exposing yourself and you're a little bit raw already because you've only just like found this part of yourself as it is. So it is just about taking your time with it. But I guess it's that permission that people need to know that you absolutely deserve to be there. And when you're ready, like we're gonna- <laughs> We'll give you, know. you a hug. Yeah, we'll give you a massive like, 
virtual group hug and yeah I think yeah there does there does need to be just I think more more permission being given because people do ask that question like am I even in the right room yes you are <laughs> yeah I absolutely. love that give yourself that permission I honestly feel like this is a personal therapy session for me. <laughs> I'm just so glad we set this up if nobody ever watches this or listens to it I, I have no problem with that I'll just have had the best therapy session in an hour and so one of the things that really popped up for me was a couple of years ago I don't know if you were aware or if you've seen it online it was a social media thing that um, Anula Myberg um, did on I think it was Instagram and Facebook where she had this crop top challenge and Anula's um, you know great instructor Um, and yes she's not your typical Pilates body and she wore a crop top and at first I was like oh why is she wearing that And I thought, and then I thought, no, why shouldn't she wear that? She's given herself permission to wear that and she's making a statement for that. And that that for me was a really powerful thing to see and appreciate on social media because like you said, you can post stuff and they get so much hate in response. Yeah. And it's hard to put stuff out there thinking, is this going to get a dislike on a YouTube channel or am I going to get, you know, notifications and people sending me loads of, of shit back essentially. And you know what? You can never avoid that. People will hate on just about anything I've come to realize. And, and they, and I, you know, for me, I've got, I've also come to realize that, you know, I don't care if I got one, like, maybe I do care, but do you know what I mean? (laughs) We're preconditioned to want the likes now. I want my likes, but <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They, they, they make me happy. Um, but it's more that for every, I don't care who, it, not who it offends. I don't care about the bad comments that I get because I get maybe mostly, but even if it wasn't mostly, even if I just have one comment of someone saying to me, thank you for posting that, that meant so much to me. And I do get that. I get people inbox me about things. I get people, you know, so I know that I'm helping someone out there. And that's what I would say to, you know, for that, for that, I mean, to, to go on and, and put yourself out there like that, that can be so scary. And it's even, it's really hurtful. We're human, it hurts when someone says something mean about it. But um, there are people out there who, who that they would never understand how much they helped. Yeah. It really means a lot to some people. Um, and that is worth, it's worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. So give yourself permission, say what you need to say, and we'll give you a big old virtual hug. Exactly. In your crop top, no crop top, it's up to you. (laughs) You know what? I wish I had the guts to rock a crop top and just do like a hundred, but I, (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't do it for myself. Maybe not yet. Yeah. I think for me, coming with crop tops is more the fact that I get this side boob thing that goes on. Boob just pops out. Me too. (laughs) like no no one needs to be looking at the side of my boob for that amount of time and I just leave it <laughs> but actually I think if more of us did it it would so it's normalize so it it's like we've all got belly rolls here and we're no, not exactly. gonna have that edited photoshop instagram photo because let's be honest no one actually looks like that no one it's like that and I think that's one thing I'm noting on instagram is that we have moved away from we still see it but I think people are just very everyone's hot on that we have face tune out there we've got um apps that people are shaping their bodies with and da, 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 and all the rest of it it's very it's very um obvious now people know that it's a thing whereas once upon a time I don't think it was really seen that way 
Um, and then you just see a lot more raw footage on Instagram now. Like I love like um, seeing people showing up and talking about their spots, you know, and things like that, because, you know, some of us are spotty, myself included. So, you know, we need to like show that it's not about being perfect because actually nobody is like, literally that's impossible. So it's impossible, we couldn't possibly be. So um, it's, yeah, I, I, I have a mixed, relationship with Instagram but the way I see it is that if I'm not there then I'm not there so and that's the thing if you don't embrace the the negative aspects of some of the users from Instagram not the app itself but mm. you can't embrace the positive stuff as well exactly because you're not in the room and you can't have your voice heard and you can't then open the doors for other people to do the same exactly so yeah so I appreciate the the work you do not just on Instagram, but through your blog posts as well. Because I was reading them last night. I'm like, oh my God, why have I never read this before? <laughs> this is great. And it resonated so much for me. So I thought, yeah. right, this is gonna, this is just gonna be changing for, you know, for everyone else out there as well. Thank you. Inspire me to write more because I am prolifically the most inconsistent content producer going. But yeah, no, so thank yeah. you. It means a lot to me. Yeah. The power of no, just a suggestion. Yes, that'll be my next one. You got it. Yeah. And so if people wanted to contact you and start that journey, and I do want to reiterate that it's not just people, you know, who have eating disorders that might have these maladaptive thoughts. I have them, somebody else might have them. It's, it's very, I don't want to say normal, but it's very prevalent. Yeah, absolutely. And so if somebody wanted to start that journey, where can they find you? What do they do? So the best thing is would be to go through my website, um, keishathomas.com, um, and then you can just send me a message through there or find me on Instagram under Keisha Thomas. They're probably the ones that I check the most. Um, but yeah, like you say, so it's, it's not about um, having an eating disorder, even disordered eating. It's just if you haven't got a great relationship with food or you feel that you're not eating in a mindful or, in, or intuitive way um, and you want to get a little bit better at that, then that's definitely something that I can guide you. Yeah. And what can people read or what resources can you recommend for people to look at in the meantime? So um, some of my favorite books would be Intuitive Eating. Uh, they've just got a new edition that's come out. That's Intuitive Eating. They also have the workbook, which is really good. Um, Body Respect is another great book that I would um, recommend. There's a lady called, oh, I'm going to forget her name. But <laughs> I want to we'll say... It. Yeah, link it. I want to say anyway, the, the, there's the like the I want to say her name is Christian Nurse, but I'm edit that out if I've got that wrong <laughs> or not. Um, but her book on self compassion, she's like done loads of talks on self compassion, and she's got a really good TED talk on that as well. So they're, they're the places where I would start. Perfect. Thank you so much for sort of giving up your time and just talking to me about this. Like I said, it's been therapy for me. So. <laughs> you know it's been it's been great and I've, I've really enjoyed it and thank you so much for having me on and thank you so much for doing these interviews I think you know it is I know that it's not easy to do these consistently you've been really really good and there have been some really interesting chats that you've been having oh thanks but well, I think there's there's loads more topics in this interview that we can dissect so we'll have to <laughs> chat a bit more and see what we can do absolutely thanks so much Keisha thank you take care